You're listening to audio from Anchor Bible Church in Centerpoint, Iowa. If you'd like to find out more about our ministry, please visit www.anchorbibleia.org. You just start? Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we're up here. We were all four of us on the missions team this past week in Milwaukee. And we've been asked to share something, um, like a takeaway of the week, I believe, right? Not just like, okay, cool. (laughs) Um, So my biggest takeaway from the week was trusting in God. Because this week, I'm not even going to lie, when we got there to start out and like kind of throughout the, it got better throughout the week. But I I guess we've never done a mission trip through a company before. We did it through YouthWorks and... It was really good. It was just kind of disorganized at the beginning of the week, and it was really disorganized throughout the week, and we were all being tested, and we're like, oh, man, God, okay, like, come on, like, be with us, you know, and it got so much better throughout the week, and God really moved through our team, and um, we had so many opportunities to um, participate in different types of worship, and um, just to see God move throughout our different teams and to see the work that we were doing and it was ultimately for God's kingdom and just to see how we got to worship together this week and do God's work throughout um, the city of Milwaukee was just truly amazing and in the end God said you know what that disorganizational stuff doesn't even matter what you guys are doing for my kingdom is truly amazing and just got to trust in me. Like, I got you. Don't even worry. But yeah, that was my biggest takeaway from the week. Um, so I don't want to sound a lot like her, but it really did, like, it was very true. Um, we got there on Sunday, and I think I was the worst one. I really did not want to be there. Um, I was very upset, very um, disheartened, and I had a lot of assumptions as to what was going to happen. I had a lot of expectations, and all of those weren't true. Um, And so my eyes were really open when we got there on Sunday. And so God really moved through me personally. um, And I had a change of heart by the end of the week. Um, I realized that I was there to serve God and that I wasn't there for myself. Um, And so it was really important because as I reflected these past couple days once we got back home, I realized that God's not only been trying to tell me this on this mission trip, but he showed me this at SGU last year too that he's always moving in the background and that he's doing something for a reason, even if I might not believe he is. Um, So just knowing that God is always working behind the scenes and that his plan is much greater than mine will ever be. Um, And then one other small thing I learned was that my fear of bridges is very real. (laughs) (laughs) So getting up here, I'm realizing I'm the only person who wrote something down. So I'm gonna go a little off script though. Um, the beginning of the week was, you know, we, we got there, there was no room for us in the sleeping rooms, we were just like, what's going on, you guys didn't like plan for this, dinner was supposed to start at like a set time, and it started like 30 minutes later, so right off the bat, we kind of had this like, I don't know what to call it, like, we were already put off a little bit by like the YouthWorks people, we were like, do you even know what's going on, like, are you planning this at all? And I think that's when I realized, like, my expectations, like I, like Maya said, my plan is not God's. <laughs> my plan will never be God's because he, his plan is the plan. Like, we can't even try and comprehend what he's going to give us. 
But I think another thing was like, I just learned that service can be anything. Like whether it was, what, like weeding a collard greens field or foot washing, like taking people's dishes back. It didn't have to be harvesting 3,000 to 4,000 servings of lettuce. Like it could be, yes, we did, we did do that. <laughs> um, but it could be based like literally anything. Um, and something else like we just learned how different other churches are from ours and how fortunate we are to have a church like this who has like a, an amazing congregation who's like close and we're uh, like, what's the word? <laughs> we like, we love each other, you know? Um, and seeing like other congregations, well not like full congregations, like the most was like 20 people or something, but seeing how they acted with each other and like worshiped was just so different and so like eye-opening for us, I think. But yeah, it was, it turned out amazing. Yeah. I'd say my biggest takeaway, so we went, I, I went down there thinking that all week we'd be like evangelizing on the streets of Milwaukee. That was definitely not God's plan because I think we only had one time to do that and that was during free time, so. So, yeah. So when we did that, we each night we had like a gathering and I think at three of the four nights we were like complaining to God. Why, why aren't we out there preaching the gospel instead? We're at Alice's garden weeding and T and, we and taking this wheelbarrow across the street and pouring it, pouring all the weeds into the field that's next over, and a dead possum. <laughs> yeah. So I think my biggest realization was that wasn't God's plan necessarily for us to go down there, and, and God says, glorify him in all you do. And so... I had to realize by at least, it was probably the last day, but we're, I was like, this whole week, we have been serving God, just not necessarily by spreading the gospel, but by doing God's work at all these different sites we went to. And the, by the last day, when we were doing work again, I was like, okay, now we're, we're doing God's work. And so, yeah. So I felt a lot better last day. That was, that was my biggest takeaway. <laughs> So I'll just say real briefly, um, our students are, they're almost being a little generous with uh, the experience that we had with organizationally, and, and that's okay. We had church group time every night, and I'll tell you, that was my, the time that I look forward to the most because we got back, and we probably could have had laundry lists of things to complain about every day in terms of how the site was run. And yet, our students were just rejoicing, and they were talking about the ways that they saw God move and the people that they got to pray with. And, you know, I'm just, I'm blown away because you don't get 14-year-old boys that are like, hey, I know we're supposed to have free time right now, but I want to walk through the streets of Milwaukee and hand out Bibles. Like, you just, you just don't get that all the time. And so I'm grateful to be a part of a, a church and to see the light of some of our young people, and not just the boys, but just all of the people that were there. Um, and so it, that was really impactful for me, getting to sit down on Sunday night and, and our church group coming together and saying, hey, we can already tell that this week might be a little bit rough, but we're going to be the reason that everybody else has a good week. Um, and so that was just a joy. And so we did. We got to serve uh, in a number of places. We got to preach the gospel all throughout Milwaukee and pray for people. So um, again, thank you to all of you for allowing us to, to do that, for praying for us and supporting us 
and making that happen. All right, with that, Pastor Andrew's going to come forward and uh, preach the word. Hey, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we've been able to hear and witness and, and testify to this morning. We praise you for the good work that you're calling us to, your work. We ask now, Lord, as we turn to your word, that you be with us, that you would allow our minds and our hearts to be open, that you would teach us, that you would challenge us, and that, Lord, we would walk away changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is uh, praise God to hear a little bit from our uh, students on the mission trip, and I'm sure uh, they were probably being generous and saying, what? They didn't say, what did Pastor Tyler get us into? right? Uh, I I think that's uh, something we can all attest to at some point in our life of asking ourselves, what in the world is happening? And then allowing God to show you what he's doing. Beautiful. And I think that's perfect as we open up scripture this morning, as we continue in our study of James. We're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And and the title of this message, and this can be a really long message, but uh, we're going to condense it a little bit here, because I think it is very straightforward, and the, the whole emphasis is this, faith and deeds. Faith and deeds. How do they come together? How do they work together? And as James is addressing the Jewish Christian congregation, and he's addressing the individuals in his time and place, it is still pertinent to us today. Because there's a question I want to ask us that we're going to have to wrestle with during this time together, and I pray that you continue to wrestle with this as you go home today. What is your good for? What's your good for? And who is your good for? So knowing the what is your good and who is your good for is important. James opens to explain the moral reality that we as Christians have in our lives and and the good that we do. God is addressing James' audience as much as he is here for us today. This fabricated idea that as long as we're good people, God will love us and accept us into heaven. Now just show a hand real quick. How many people in here have ever heard somebody say, I don't need to go to church or worship God. I'm a good person, right? We've all heard in one way, shape, or another, it doesn't matter as long as I'm just a good person. And we have so many people in our communities, in our families, in our society that live into this narrative that it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're a good person. The problem with good works is that we often confuse or find ourselves in a place where we don't even have an understanding of what it means to do good and by whose standard we are doing the good. This specific area of teaching, I think, and I've witnessed and you have witnessed both in community and society, but also within the church. Christians skirt around the idea and or don't want to bring this up because they avoid rubbing elbows or hurting someone's feelings. Well, you can hear it on our uh, local radio, the world is full of good people. If you don't see one, be one. What does that mean? The simple statement is a false statement that I don't need to go to church to believe in God. I don't 
need to be a part of a, a congregation. I'm a good person, and that's good enough. My deeds are good enough. You can tell that I believe in God by how good I am. My good works show my faith. You get where I'm going here. You've heard this kind of rhetoric. You've heard this narrative. A lot of people live into this understanding. If you're just good enough, that's all that life really calls us to do. It's true that we can tell a lot about a person by what they do, not in an occupational sense, but in their behavior and treating their neighbor as they too would want to be treated. But even as we look at the outside of a person's life and try to assume who they are by their actions, there is a, there's deep within each of us an identity of why we do what we do. And in many ways this is complex, yet it's quite simple, and there are no two ways about it. We either live in the notion of our deeds by self or in Christ. One way to put it is that this statement is uh, simply asking us this. Is what I do come from myself, my desires, my interests, my opinions, and my convictions? Or is what I do come from Christ, His will, His desire, His purpose, His truth? Now, I know I'm throwing a lot of questions at you here, but it's simply this. Is what you do, the good you do, based upon yourself and your desires and interests, or is the good you do based upon Christ and His Word and what He calls you to do in serving His kingdom? Now, let's turn to James chapter 2, and let's, let's hear once what we're told. Starting in verse 14. What good is it? My brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was it not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteous, and he was also called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James is bringing up the question about our faith and our good deeds, and he's giving biblical examples. Some have even said that James and the Apostle Paul disagree on this moral topic of your faith and your good deeds. 
but they're not in disagreement with each other. Paul, for example, in many places with the truth that we alone are saved by faith alone, not our own effort or good deeds, as we can read in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. In the same understanding as James, who is, says our good works are the results of our faith. Now, one place in particular that people like to take Scripture into their own hands and justify what they do is Philippians 2, verses 12b through 13, which reads this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. A lot of people like to just isolate that. But we have to read on because verse 13 gives us the understanding of why we continue to work that out. It says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So as we read there, it is you are called to action by faith, and God is going to move in and through you through the power of his Holy Spirit for his good will and his purpose. Notice again, you can't stop at verse 12. You have to continue into verse 13. And I find this quote from C.S. Lewis very helpful here. Listen to what he says regarding this in mere Christianity. Christians have often disputed as to whether what leads the Christian home is good actions or faith in Christ. I have no right really to speak on such a difficult question, but it does seem to me like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most necessary. A serious moral effort is the only thing that will bring you to the point where you throw up the sponge. Faith in Christ is the only thing to save you from despair at that point. And out of that faith in Him, good actions must inevitably come. The Bible really seems to clench this matter when it puts two things together into one amazing sentence. And again, he quotes Philippians. The first half is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which looks as if everything is dependent on us and our good actions. But the second half goes on, for it is God who worketh in you, which looks as if God did everything and we nothing. I am afraid that this is the sort of thing we come up against in Christianity. I am puzzled, but I am not surprised. You see, we are now trying to understand and trying to separate into watertight compartments what exactly God does and what man does when God and man are working together. And of course, we begin by thinking it is like two men working together so that you could say, he did this bit and I did that bit. But this way of thinking breaks down. God is not like that. He is inside you as well as outside. Even if we could understand who did what, I don't think human language could properly express it. And the attempt to express and at different churches say different things. But you will find that even those who insist most strongly on the importance of good actions tell you, you need faith. And even those who insist most strongly on faith tell you, you need good actions. End quote. C.S. Lewis uses Philippians 2 here and the contrast with faith and good works and James doing the same thing here in chapter 2, yet developing it a little further, I believe. James expounds on giving everyday, rational, easy examples for us. Faith without action is dead. And this is the misconception that we see fitting so comfortably in our church today. Your goodness is not your faith in Jesus. 
It's the result of your faith in Jesus. Think of it this way. Say for argument's sake, the gospel is wrong. And you, in fact, are saved by your good deeds. Think for a moment of everything you've ever done in your life. All the good that you can comprehend. Think of the moment you're going to stand before our author, our creator, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, who breathed the breath of life into man out of dust. God, who spoke into being all that we know. God, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who is all-powerful, who is all-present, who is all-knowing. The God that is beyond sometimes our comprehension and what he is doing, yet is laid out in Scripture, in his word, for us to know him and to have a relationship with him. God, who came to us in his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who was laid in a tomb, who's resurrected, who ascended into heaven, who sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That God, the God of the gospel, you, in your good works, you get there and you say, guess what? I did this. Think about it. The individual who lives in the narrative that they're a good person and they do good things, you're really going to get to heaven. You're going to stand in front of God and say, well, I did this. I did this one thing. What do you think God's going to say? Come on in. With a snapshot of our entire life, standing before God, we're going to say, hey, I did this. By whose measure of good are you using? And who is your good for? It's a fool's game. To think that your life can be jam-packed full of all the good things and good deeds and that you're doing good enough. I'm going to be harsh. That's the kind of dumb blindness that Satan wants Christians to have. Banking their worth and their life upon what good they do. And by whose measure are you doing that good? A person set out to do good in their own measure is the only using a selfish guide because they're only doing the good they see fit that is comfortable for them. What kind of good only fits within their confines of their schedule or doesn't make them uncomfortable or doesn't have to make them sacrifice something in the necessities of life? Now let's continue in the same vein and say you believe in God but don't do anything with it. You have faith, but no work. Listen to this paraphrase of James 19 through 20. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something so wonderful? That's great. Demons do that. But what good does it do to them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut 
faith and works into and not end up with a corpse on your hands. Faith and work go hand in hand. It is not work and then faith. It is faith alone first that produces the work. And James brings it home with the argument of Abraham and Rahab's life. I want to read this once again. But I'm going to read this in the Amplified Version. And so the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed in. That means he adhered to, he trusted in, and relied on God. And this was accounted to him as righteous as conformity to God's will in thought and in deed, he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified, he's pronounced righteous before God through what he does and not alone through faith, through works of obedience as well as by what he believes. So also Rahab, the harlot, was she not shown to be justified, pronounced righteous before God by good deeds? when she took in the scouts, the spies, and sent them away a different route. For as the human body apart from the spirit is lifeless, so faith apart from its works of obedience is also dead. As we reflect upon the truth here, that faith is the godly ingredient for his good work done in and through us. His purpose, his kingdom, his goodness. For the evidence of genuine faith inwardly is known by its fruit outwardly. We must sit in His Word and let the Holy Spirit reveal in us where we have gone wrong. Return once again through repentance and confession, setting aright the compass of following Jesus, faith and work hand in hand. And I am by sharing what Jesus told us in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Your work of good deeds doesn't stand a chance to the cross and the empty tomb. Nor does your faith without works. Let God in. Allow him to bring you to the work he has set forth. Then and only then shall we be living a genuine faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is so good and it's hard for us to comprehend or even, Lord, to even want to dive in. And apply it to our lives, but yet we are here this morning. God, I pray that you oppress upon each of our hearts. Help us to understand. Help us to see in the areas of our lives that we are, are trying to put a foot forward by something good or a deed or some sort of work, thinking that that in one way, shape, or another is providing us some sort of salvation in you. Help us to understand, Lord, it is only in and through you, through relationship with you, that which results in the goodness, the things which you have set forth to put before us. And so God, we pray in faith. Set our hearts upon repentance and confession in the areas that we fail. Help us, Lord, 
to believe, place our faith in you and you alone. And may it be, Lord, that we would be ready at that point, that moment, to say, here I am. Send me. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.